Miracy. In the conversation with John Austin, he talked about the great importance of consequences and how those drive behavior. And clearly they do, you know, much more than not having any consequences, but they may not be enough on their own, right? In this case, Ginny mentioned adding, for example, triggers at different points in the course. And on the surface, that might not seem necessary, right? When you're getting a certification at the end, but she's found through hard-won experience that it is. Hello, and welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches course creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Danny Eaney, the founder and CEO of Miracy, and I'm here with my co-host, Abe Crystal, co-founder of Rizuku. Hey, Danny. So in each episode of Course Lab, we showcase a course and course creator who is doing something really interesting with their course. Today, we have the special privilege of welcoming Ginny Dietrich to the show. Ginny is the founder and CEO of Arment Dietrich, a marketing communications firm in Chicago. She's the host of her very own podcast, Spin Sucks, as well as the lead writer for a marketing blog by the very same name. Thank you so much for coming, Ginny. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure. So we go way, way, way back. Way back. We shouldn't say how far back. <laughs> for people who don't have the, the background with you that I'm uh, fortunate to have, just who are you? What do you do? What's your story? How did you come to be doing it? Give us the whole the whole spiel. I started a PR firm and very traditional PR firm in 2005. And my idea was that one of the things I think is, and still today is very challenging about PR in general, is it's very hard to measure. And executives by their nature don't understand the value of brand awareness. They don't have the patience to wait for it. Like you can't measure it. And all of what PR does is brand awareness. And so I started my own agency with the idea that we could measure results. And during that time, social media came to fruition, blogging came to fruition, digital marketing came to fruition, search engine marketing came to fruition. All this stuff became available where we had data at our fingertips. And we launched Modern Blogging Masterclass. Gosh, I want to say that was 2015. And from there, it's just evolved. And now we have a PESO model certification, we have an entire academy. So the vision has finally come to fruition. And I will say that much of that credit is due to you because you were the one who taught me all of the pieces that needed to go into it. Well, first of all, it's very kind of you to say and very gratifying to hear. But I mean, you know, real talk, I helped you a little bit in the early days. You've just built this tremendous empire out of it. <laughs> no, and you did more than a little bit, but okay. Well, I want to hear about how what things have evolved into. So Tell us about the uh, SpinSex Academy and the PESO model certification. Who is that for? What does it look like? What do they pay? What is the experience like? What do they get? Like, Walk us through all that. So uh, you were instrumental in some of this stuff too, because it wasn't just online courses. It was things like group coaching and you know being able to scale and have recurring revenue that allowed us to continue to do new and interesting things. So we did the Modern Blogging Masterclass, and that was great, and it did really well. And then we moved from there. So at the time, if I were to describe it in today's terms, it was really how do you take earned media, media relations, and owned media, your content marketing, and combine them so that you have your content, but then you are distributing it in a way that helps with your search engine optimization, helps with your brand awareness, helps with your credibility, helps with your link building, all those kinds of things. But as we were doing work internally with clients, we weren't just doing earned and owned media. We were also doing paid and shared, which is where the peso model comes from. And, you know, I've gone through the whole process of 
copywriting and registration and all of that kind of stuff. And as we've done that, we've come to realize that we truly are the experts because we created it, but also because we're really one of the few communicators that are doing a fully integrated PESO model. So we created a certification and we went to Syracuse University and we said, listen, we want to create this certification, but we need the rubber stamp of an accredited university to be able to help us do that. Are you interested? And they said they were, which is great. And so we created this partnership with them so that any communicator who goes through the PESOL model certification today also has a certificate from Syracuse University. Very cool. Tell us more about the accreditation and partnership with Syracuse University. Like the the students who go through it, do you get paid on a per student basis? And what are they bringing to the table in terms of accreditation? Why did you feel that that was even important as a starting point? As we looked at the industry, we really realized that two things. One was that the only accreditation in the industry comes through a membership organization, which I mean, it's great, but it doesn't provide any real value from an executive leadership perspective. We wanted to provide an opportunity for communicators to get a certification that's accredited by a university and not a membership organization. So that was the big catalyst for us. Syracuse is the number two PR program in the world. We knew we wanted to work with them from that perspective as well. And it just provided that extra credibility. Students don't pay the full corporate rate. It's like a textbook. They have to go through the program in order to graduate. And they get tested the same way as professionals do. They go through the same program. They learn the same way. And then they graduate. And the idea is that hopefully (laughs) we've created enough of a grassroots level because we're in, in several schools now that anybody who graduates with a PR, marketing, advertising, or journalism degree from 2019 and beyond We'll go out into the world and say, this is how we do PR now. We don't just do media relations. We do it through a PESO model. And based on that, as they grow their careers, it changes the entire industry. Very cool. I mean, do you, do you find that people are still looking for traditional in the sense of like associated with a university, that type of certification? I'm just curious because I'm, you know, I've been observing that in some fields like software development, for example. There's less and less emphasis on that. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in our industry, it is. And I think it's because, this is going to sound terrible, but (laughs) anybody can hang out a shingle and call themselves a PR professional. So there's nothing that, like with software, you have to actually have skill and talent to be able to do it, right? And people know immediately whether or not you have the talent or the skill to be able to do it. With a PR professional, and I hear this, this all the time from executives, is They can talk a good talk, but until you actually get in there and start working with them and pay them a lot of money, you don't realize that they actually don't know what they're doing. So in our industry, at least for now, and I do think that this will change, but for now, having that accreditation from a university helps. Accreditation certification is valuable because it's like a level check of, okay, if you have the certification, you are, you know, you're up to this level, but that's only valuable if other people understand the value of the certification. So what do you do slash what have you done to get the the people who would hire the graduates to be like, oh, the PESO certification, that's a big deal. Really cool. Yeah, we've been working on that pretty hard. In the beginning, and this goes back to your earlier question as well, but in the beginning, we really tried to focus on the people that would hire the communicators and educate them. But it was such a large undertaking 
that's why part of the other reason we went to schools is because we knew that if we created that grassroots level type of marketing, that they would be the ones eventually, it's a longer term play, eventually to say, listen, we can't hire anybody that's not certified in this. But as SpinSucks an organization, we spend a lot of time educating executive leadership on this. So, you know, we write for all sorts of business publications. We do our own PESOL model communication. I do a lot of speaking and those kinds of things. And I'm really focused on that audience as a way to educate. What's been most effective for you in terms of educating the market in the way that you describe? So getting people to understand the benefits of like your model and your approach and why the certification itself is valuable. You know, it's funny. It's still the blog. It's still the number one way to do it. And I know I say that's funny because I'm not sure that in today's world, I would recommend somebody starting a blog to to do this kind of work, but because we've been doing it for so long, it has allowed us to really build the influence much more quickly. I think if we started doing it with a blog today, it wouldn't be as effective. But yeah, it's still for us, it's our blog. Interesting. When you're doing that kind of market education, what specifically are you educating the market about? When you start to talk about the PESO model, and we have a graphic that shows it from a very tactical perspective, but when you throw that up on your screen or you share your screen and you show an executive that, they get it immediately. And so that starts the conversation about why you need a PESO model and how getting in the New York Times is just a quarter of that foundation, but you have to build a foundation of the four media types. You can't just use one. And so it's really around that. It's really around why you would use a PESO model program in your communications and marketing departments, why you would do that to help. And then it's all those ancillary benefits, you know, report results, drive revenue, all of those kinds of things. But you can't do it if you're only using one leg of the four-legged stool. And could you recap for us, what is the PESO model? What are the components and why is it important? Sure. It's paid, earned, shared, and owned media. And people say to me all the time, in fact, some guy wrote a book about why PESO is wrong because it never starts with paid. And I'm like, dude, first of all, call me or read our blog because you would know that the only reason we started with paid is because PESO is easier to remember than if you started with earned and you did EOSP or you did OSP or you did ESPO or, you know, like it's not as easy. So literally the acronym exists only because it's the easiest. But if I were going to start a program from scratch, especially in today's world, I would probably start with owned. I would use shared to distribute. I would use earned to provide the extra credibility and get the links. And then I would use paid to amplify it. So I would almost never start with paid, but the acronym starts with paid because it's easier to remember. Nice. And then in terms of the actual, you know, learning experience, how people are going through your program, you know, it's just something we dive into often. What have you found there in this kind of unique format of a more structured certification program? Like, are there benefits to that in terms of, you know, people being motivated and staying on track through the program? And are there challenges, you know, that are unique to this format as well? I think there are challenges to every format. And certainly we've learned and evolved as we've gone, right? But, you know, when we launched the Modern Blogging Masterclass, we did it in real time. So, and then we recorded it as we went. So it was a 45 minute webinar, essentially with 15 minutes of Q&A at the end. 
And then we took those 45 minutes and we had them, you know, produced and edited and all that kind of stuff. And then we used the 15 minutes of Q&A for our frequently asked questions. And then we were able to create that into a program that was recurring and, and did its own thing as it went along. But we discovered that through that process, that 45 minutes was far too long. And so in our next iteration of an online course, we drilled it down a little bit further. We launched it the same way because truth be told, it's easier when you have a deadline and you have to show up for a webinar and do it live, right? And then you recorded it. And we did those in 30-minute increments. And we found that even that was too long. So when we launched the certification, and I'm actually going to go back and revise most of it just based on things we've learned. But what we did is we did it in, I'd say, eight to 12-minute, quote-unquote, lessons and used our learning management software to be able to create quizzes and triggers in there that they couldn't move on to the next until they'd passed those pieces. First of all, that was really important to the universities because they need the students to go through and actually progress. But we also found that professionals were like, this is great. And then we get busy, right? So having those triggers and quizzes and making it easy to go from one to the next to the next to the next really helped. We also created this version in an eight-week program, and we have found that outside of the students, it takes professionals about four months to actually do the work. So as we look at revising and reiterating a little bit, we'll consider those kinds of things. But you both know, I mean, it continually evolves and you continue to learn, you continue to see pros and cons. But I would say one of the biggest things is that the lessons need to be much, much shorter. Just to make it concrete for people, could you give an example or two of the triggers you described, like, what would that look like? In some cases, it's a quiz. In some cases, you know, it's downloading certain tools or um, materials that they need. And if they haven't done that, they don't, like, it doesn't allow them to go on to the next. I would say that a lot of the learning management software that's available today lets you do pretty much anything you want. And you can make it as easy or as difficult as you want. We use Kajabi today, and I love it because I can go in there and I can tweak things and I can make sure that. People are doing what they're asked to do and, and go along brilliantly. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. I don't have anything else. I think that was awesome. Abe, do you have any other questions you want to ask? No, thank you. Really appreciate it. Oh my gosh, you're welcome. That was easy. It was fun. Abe, do you want to do the readout? Yes. Jenny Dietrich is CEO of Armit Dietrich and founder of Spin Sucks. You can follow her weekly podcast, Spin Sucks, on any podcast streaming platform, or you can check out her many quintessential marketing tips over at spinsucks.com. That's spinsucks.com. Now stick around for my favorite part of the show, where Abe and I will pull out the very best takeaways for you to apply to your course. All right, let's jump into this debrief. Pretty interesting uh, course with an kind of an unusual certification model or ones that one we don't see a lot in the world of more kind of entrepreneurial or discretionary courses. I really liked what Ginny did with the certification in terms of like, it takes some thinking outside the box to be like, oh yeah, I'm not just going to work with what I have. I'm going to go create this partnership with this university and I'm going to get this into a curriculum and like, you know, there's a lot there. And of course, there's a lot of lended credibility that, that comes with it. But it, it really started, I think, with this thought of, okay, what will lend this the legitimacy that it needs 
to get the right attention from the right people. I mean, you know this because we talk all the time, but you know, I'm always asking the question of what are we solving for? And instead of being like, well, should I do this or should I do that or should I do that other thing? Starting with or solving for is credibility, legitimacy, industry recognition. How can we do that? And then from there, Ginny kind of getting to the idea of, oh, I guess, you know, we need to partner with this institution was really smart. Yeah. I mean, it also comes back to understanding the customer perspective, right? Like what are her customers want to get out of this course? You know, it turns out it's not just the knowledge and techniques of PR or the pace of a model. It's having the credibility to get the job that they want or advance in their career. You know, something else I thought was interesting is that even though there's a very clear sort of carrot to completing this course as a participant, right? You're not just doing it out of fun or curiosity, like you're doing it to get the certification and the piece of virtual paper, as it were. But, you know, we know from other contexts that it doesn't mean that people are going to sign up and then just instantly start flying through the course. And it seems like that's what Jeannie's found in her course as well, is that it still takes design. It takes, you know, coming up with interesting ways to keep people engaged, even though there is a very strong consequence for not completing the course. In the conversation with John Austin, he talked about the great importance of consequences and how those drive behavior. And clearly they do, you know, much more than not having any consequences, but they may not be enough on their own, right? In in this case, you know, Ginny mentioned adding, you know, for example, triggers at different points in the course where you have to complete a quiz or you have to, you know, complete a certain video or perform a certain action to continue progressing through the course. And, you know, on the surface, that might not seem necessary, right? When you're getting a certification at the end, but she's found through hard-won experience that it is. Yeah. And I think that some of those things were necessary in terms of just the requirements of the university. But I think what was also interesting to me was the process of the evolution of the learning experience, right? You know, it started very rough around the edges, you know, live delivered webinars, recordings were, you know, put in the membership site, et cetera. But with each iteration, kind of saying, okay, well, what what worked well with that? What didn't? Okay, let's go shorter. Let's go even shorter. Let's have greater idea granularity. Let's have, you know, the quizzes and the triggers and that kind of stuff. And there's an important takeaway here for everyone who's listening, which is that your course doesn't have to be perfect right out of the gate. But every time you run it, it's an opportunity to look at it and ask yourself, well, how can I make this better? Where are people struggling? What would better serve them? And, you know, that's the nature of flywheels. One turn on the flywheel doesn't add all that much. But if you keep turning that flywheel, it starts adding up to a lot of momentum. And then you look at, you know, a course like Ginny's, which is seven years later, very, very impressive. Yeah. Having that long-term perspective definitely helps too. The other thing that I observed was, you know, actually based on something you've talked about, Danny, which is the idea of the importance of having a unique mechanism for your you know, you're teaching in your course, but also for your brand and, and your marketing, that people know you for something unique, whether it's a model, a technique, a process, a framework. And so something that's made, you know, Ginny's course and, and brand really stand out is that she developed this proprietary peso model. And then she, you know, used her primarily her blog, she said, but you know, also other formats like webinars and and speaking at conferences and so on to spread awareness of that model, which becomes her unique mechanism. And it becomes a reason to seek out and engage in her course versus, you know, other PR information and training that's out there. I don't have anything else. I thought that was really solid. Yeah, she was uh, 
she was really direct and concise in explaining things. So makes it easy. It's almost like she's a trained communicator. Right. <laughs> How strange. <laughs> you want to do the readout? Thank you for listening to Course Lab. I'm Abe Crystal, co-founder and CEO of Rizuku, here with Danny Eaney, founder and CEO of Miracy. Course Lab is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes Just Between Coaches and Making It. This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Jeff Govertson assembled the episode. Danny Eaney is our executive producer. Big thanks to Jeannie Dietrich for taking the time to come onto the show today. You can learn a whole lot more about her as well as attend her free masterclass at spinsucks.com. To make sure you don't miss the really great episodes coming up on Course Lab, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me know I've been mispronouncing your name for 10 years. That's so funny. I really don't notice because everybody does it. So I I don't even notice anymore. (laughs) Well, I will endeavor to get it right. I appreciate that. All right. Are you ready? Wait, what's my cue? It's a behind the scenes kind of thing. Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head on. I'm Melinda Cohen and your host for this show. I also know that I'm listening when, again, my mind is relaxed. So I can almost sense that I'm listening on multiple levels. That's a great frame. That's a, that's a really great way to think about it. Um, I think so, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because I think that something that is very dangerous is for people to think that being a great coach comes from having the credentials. One has nothing to do with the other. So again, part of it is just, you know, either through questions or asking what they've tried, or sometimes it's, you know, the forest for the trees thing. My favorite part of having the hard conversation is... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, so while I love what's on the other side, I think navigating through that conversation is my favorite part. Yeah, because we're not there necessarily as coaches to provide solutions. We're there to guide our people towards solutions. And I don't know if it's, you know, societal pressure or peer pressure, but we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. I want to help and support coaches so that they can evolve into their greatness. My desire for the show is if I could scoop up all of the coaches and bring them into my living room and bring up the topics that leave crinkles in our forehead so that we can fully understand what it means to show up in our greatness, fully confident so that we can build better businesses, so that we can be better coaches, so that we can make a lasting impact on this world collectively. And we want to rise to that level. That being said, 
you do want to set yourself up and your clients up for success by making sure that there is clarity around their expectations and your expectations as to how you can help them. People have to know a little bit about what you offer. Otherwise, how do they know that they need what you can help them with in terms of that transformation? And I love having the conversations and navigating the topics that keep us at the forefront in a time with what I call the results revolution. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to start by saying that this is a really good problem to have, right? So if you have someone who's resisting your price, it means they're really interested in working with you. The thing is, sometimes it becomes negative. It becomes toxic. I've been in the coaching industry for almost 20 years now. And over these years, I have seen everything behind the scenes in our industry, everything that works, everything that doesn't work. I've seen the evolution of our industry and of what it means to be a coach. I just want to say to all the coaches out there, you know, matching who you are to the kind of coach that you want to be is just a practice. Do you want to add some parting words? No, I think you did great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, this is absolutely the tone, the feel, the everything. Okay, so I'm going to stop the recording now. <laughs> Why are you stopping the recording? <laughs> this is going to be fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a wrap. That is going to be an amazing session.